You're listening to the Creating Your Own Path podcast, episode number 57. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jen Snyder, and as always, you can listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast app. You can also catch a new episode each week at creatingyourownpath.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Stride Health, an online platform created to help U.S.-based independent creatives navigate the healthcare sign-up process quickly and efficiently. Head over to stridehealth.com C-Y-O-P to sign up for a free account today. That's stridehealth.com C-Y-O-P. So I'm pretty excited to share today's episode with you guys because it brings me to the lovely home of Grace Bonnie and Julia Tertian in upstate New York. Just like many of you out there listening, I have been following Grace's work with Design Sponge for a very long time, and I've also come to truly appreciate Julia's work along the way. Of course, it was wonderful to meet the two of them in person, and in the interview, we actually talk a lot about the wonders of the internet and how important it is to use it as a tool to connect with others face-to-face. We also talk about the process behind Julia's work and how it all boils down to creating something that people can trust, the moments in Grace's career when she has felt the most fulfilled, how moving upstate has changed both their life and work for the better, and what they've been working on recently. I cannot wait for you all to have a listen, so let's just get to it. Hi, guys. Thanks for letting me come to your place to do this interview. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for being here. All right, so let's just dive right in because I want to talk about your career paths a little bit. You both essentially write for a living, but the content you create is different and your journey getting to this point has been different. So, Julia, we'll start with you. Will you tell us a little bit about your background and kind of how you got to where you are? Sure. Um, I basically have been interested and in love with food since before I can remember. Um, I was cooking from age maybe like three um and then I really became a self-taught cook by watching television um mostly public tv and like great old cooking shows um and my parents thought the route for a young person interested in food would be I would go to culinary school open a restaurant and spend the rest of my life cooking you know dinner for other people And I was much more interested in writing and in school and pursued a liberal arts education, studied writing, um, studied poetry, which was super, uh, you know, proactive (laughs) and, um, and, but always wrote about food and both my parents were in publishing. So that kind of world felt really familiar. They both worked in magazines. My dad, um, still runs a small business designing books And so that, to me, felt more the direction I wanted to go into. So I took to writing about food in every book I read for school, and that's what every essay was about, Um, and then pursued a number of... I went to college in New York, which meant that having access to um, just people who worked in the industry I wanted to work in um, were in the same place I, I was. So I knocked on a lot of doors, and... I interned in college at Food and Wine magazine. I worked for um, a TV producer who works, uh, who makes food shows, and I did a lot of kind of random tasks, whatever was helpful. Um, whatever, I sort of knocked on doors and then did whatever I could do to stay on the other side of those doors. Um, and then one thing kind of led to another, and I worked my first cookbook project right out of college, and then everything was sort of relationship-based. And I feel like the best way to describe my career path, I guess, is mm-hmm. I've never written a resume. It's all been like, like word of mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. So that was kind of the long and short of it. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Grace? Can you talk about your career path a little bit? Sure. Um, mine, I had like a brief stint in things that weren't design blogging and then have been in that for the last 11 years, I guess. Tell them about fish. Oh, so, um, so I started, when I went to college, I had no idea what I was doing, and I started out at NYU and thought I was going to be a journalist, so I studied journalism there, hated the school, um, loved the city, so I spent the last two and a half years uh, finishing a degree in, uh, at William & Mary, which is a school in Virginia where I'm from, and when I was there, I realized before applying, which was stupid, I didn't check to see if they had a journalism program, and they don't. <laughs> so I just assumed every school has writing, and looking back, like, what an idiot. But I went there and didn't like the writing program, 
and ended up taking a fine arts class and loving it. Um, and kind of knowing from the get-go, I was never going to be an artist, but it was the one class I really, really enjoyed taking. Um, so I ended up graduating with a fine arts degree with an emphasis in printmaking, and then got out of school and realized, oh, you don't just get a job as a printmaker. That's just not a very easy job to find right off the bat. But when I was there, I'd also really loved music. I was a hippie in college. So I had a jam band radio show, and my thought was, I will parlay my jam band radio show into career success, which did not happen. But I <laughs> did get a job uh, with a record label. It was a sort of indie label that was a subsidiary of a larger one, and they were based in Brooklyn. So the day after graduation, my dad drove me to New York. Um, I used all of my savings to get an apartment, and I started work the next day at a record label. And hated every second of it, but it was really, really fascinating to see how that sort of world works. And mm -hmm. I ended up working with the bass player from Fish, Mike Gordon, and I was a huge Fish person. Um, so I loved that part of the job, but just found out pretty quickly that wasn't what I wanted to do, and then immediately thought, okay, well, my other love is, is art and design. How do I get back into that? I always wanted to write for a magazine, um, so I took the first job I could find in design, which was a PR job, and I had weirdly learned some interesting things in crisis PR in my previous job because there was a whole bunch of drama around fish when I was working with them and so I got to see what it was like to do like sort of crisis management and like deal with bad things mm -hmm. PR mm -hmm. so that PR job led me to the other PR job and at that job I realized uh, what market editing was and I was like oh there's a whole job where you could just write about things that are new and cool and interesting in a field so my goal was to write for a magazine and do that, uh, but I started the blog in my spare time and thought that would be my device to get myself to a magazine way down the road, and it, it ended up kind of becoming the magazine that I wanted right. to write for. Yeah, absolutely, and I love that. So um, I'm going to switch gears just a little bit because, Julia, I want to talk to you about your work. Sure. So I've always been fascinated by people who have the ability to test and refine recipes, and I think Part of the reason is I grew up in a family that shows their love with food, mm -hmm. you know? However, <clears throat> in the cooking department, I fall a little short, <laughs> and so I just love people who can kind of build those recipes that are easy to follow and that make sense and that are accessible to people. And so when you're in the kitchen creating or testing a recipe, I'm curious what the process looks sure. like for you. Um yeah, it's a great question, um, and I appreciate it coming from someone who appreciates a good recipe because they're, I think they're kind of like, like a lot of things in the world. I think the really good ones, like you don't, it's not so clear how much work goes into them, um, which is a good thing. They should appear simple and doable, um, but to appear that way, it's kind of like an iceberg. It's like there's a lot that happens that you don't see. Yeah. Um, so my process is basically... If I'm working on my own, I'll just take you through the logistics of it. Yeah, if I'm working on my that. own um, versus helping someone develop theirs, which I'm also happy to talk about. Um, if I'm working on my own, I usually write it first. Um, sometimes, mostly what I do, I'll back up, is I cook for myself and Grace pretty much every day, at least once a day. Um, and that's what I love to do. And... So when I'm cooking, I'm usually just cooking to make us whatever that meal is, whether it's, you know, breakfast, lunch, or dinner, or something in between, because we eat often. <laughs> and um, I'm kind of, my, like, sort of my, like, little notepad in my brain is always on, and I'm always thinking about, like, is this something that I should write down to eventually put somewhere, if it's a new book or whatever. Um, and often, I'm just making dinner to make dinner, um, but sometimes I'm sort of taking those little mental notes and then eventually when I'm working on a project and I'm writing, working on a recipe, I'll first write it. Um, and then I, I print it out and I take it to the kitchen and I usually tape it against the wall. And then I follow the recipe as if it were already in a cookbook and I was just someone following it. But while I'm doing that, I'm troubleshooting things along the way. Like if there's, you know, if something takes more time or, um, if my description isn't quite accurate to what I'm doing. So I kind of, I have to sort of become really objective in that moment and, to, and forget that I'm the one who wrote it, which is, that's the tricky part. Sure. Um, but I feel pretty used to it at this point. And so I'm taking notes on it while I'm doing it. 
Um, sometimes if it's something really simple, if it's like a pesto or something and it's like, oh, this just needs more olive oil, I'll make that adjustment and that's kind of it. But normally it's not that simple and normally it goes through like a few rounds of testing, especially if it's a baking recipe, you kind of, you can't really, you know, add more salt and, you know, just change that. You have to see what happens when it comes out of the oven. So it's, it depends on the recipe. It depends on the steps. Um, and I do the same process if I'm testing someone else's recipe, um, But if I'm helping someone else develop their recipe, I usually meet with them in person and have them cook while I watch them. Um, And I bring a notebook. um, And I always have my phone with me, which I use for everything, for a camera, as a timer, as a translator um, sometimes. And I take, like, obsessive notes while people are cooking. Whenever I can, I try to kind of slip a measuring spoon kind of underneath them or something, um... I've at times measured ingredients for people before they cook. And then Mm. I see what's left over afterwards. So, which like that requires a lot of planning. Um, but I've gotten like pretty okay at eyeballing. Um, you know, like I, I know the difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon when someone's pouring it out, but then I take those notes, I write the recipe, I make it at home. Um, and recently I finished working on my own cookbook, which will be out in fall 2016. But I, for the first time, I've worked with other testers, but never on my own recipes. And I've sent out recipes to friends and family with like a list of questions. Like, did this require like any piece of equipment you didn't have? And if so, what did you use? Or what did you do in that moment? Um, did anything confuse you? Like this whole, you know, long, long list. Um, and that was such a useful thing because I wasn't there and I just, you know, when someone buys the book, I'm not going to be in everyone's kitchen. So it's like, you know, and I, um, had this whole kind of interview process, um, just to really get down to the, you know, bones of all the recipes. And it was so useful to really put them out there without being there. And I tend to be a little bit, um, OCD about (laughs) a lot of things. So to really just let go and see what happened was felt so vulnerable, but also kind of cool. And it was like, it was a good, um, I think exercise and, what will happen next. I was so. going to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like the first step to like, yeah. what happens yeah. when people have to yeah. in their home. Totally. Yeah, totally, yeah. Luckily, it all, for the most part, went pretty well. Um, but there were just a number of things that I would have never thought of, and it's really, I think, speaks to the power of when you invite other people into the creative process. And like a friend of mine, there was a recipe for um, that required pickled jalapenos, which is an ingredient I love and mm. use all the time. Um inspired by my love of taco bars <laughs> and um my friend Katie who's a good friend from college made the recipe and she called me and she was like she was like you didn't give me the recipe for the pickled jalapenos like I have to make those before and I was like oh no that's something you buy and then she was like but where do I even like where do I find right. those and I realized like oh just because that's something I use often doesn't mean everyone knows where in the grocery store they are so mm-hmm. for the record they're in the aisle like next to like the crappy like hard shell tacos. Okay. Um, Good to know. Yeah. So if you want them. Um, so that was a really useful experience. And then I write them. It's in the manuscript. It goes through rounds of copy editing, that kind of stuff. Um, but that's kind of the process. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love, I love, I know. Well, and I don't think, um, people realize that necessarily. And it's not just if you're writing a cookbook, even if you have a food blog, Mm -hmm. all of those recipes, take a yeah. lot of work because then you also have to photograph every single step, yeah. right? It's really, it's like, I mean, there are, there are more recipes out in the world than there need to be. I mean, there's millions. Um, sure. and you don't, I all the time think about like, you know, does the world need another cookbook? Um, and you can Google any recipe. I use the internet all the time to find recipes. Um, but there aren't, I think the purpose of cookbooks in this day and age, um, is to provide this sort of curated group of recipes that you can trust. Um, I think the person who tests recipes better than anyone and writes them better than anyone is Ina Garten. And she is so just scientific about her approach Mm -hmm. and so thorough. And she has this whole process that I just envy because I don't have the time or resources to make that happen on my own, but she hands them off to someone else who she watches them make the recipe. Um, It's this whole sort of really brilliant thing um and her recipes work better than anyone else's and it's because she takes the time and you know when you spend whatever it is 30 or 35 dollars on her book you know that you know you won't fail um and that's so she's selling this trust which is kind of incredible and really great taste um 
So I think when you look up a recipe online, you don't necessarily know that you're going to get that. Um, you can get a lot of jumping off points, which is what I think of those kind of searches. Sure. Like their purpose. But um, to create content that people can use and it'll turn out well. Because you, you don't want someone spending money on ingredients and then something gets messed up and then they think they messed up or they wasted the money or something. Like, that's that's a bummer. Like That's yeah. a huge bummer, and it happens to me often yeah, <laughs> when I really... do find recipes online. Um, and I'm already, like I mentioned, I'm a little bit... I'm nervous in the kitchen. And it's partly because you do. You spend money on mm-hmm. ingredients, and some of them are... Oh, gosh, I have a lobster reci- or story that just <laughs> was terrible because I was so... It was, stupid Valentine's Day. It's trying to do a damn lobster. And it just, it just didn't work. And I was so nervous and like, didn't want to mess it up. So that's me in the kitchen is the nervous Nelly. Don't want to mess yeah. things up. And so you're right. I go to Ina stuff all mm-hmm. the time because you can trust it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think I've ever knock on wood. I don't think I've ever failed, um, with one of her recipes before. I don't so. think anyone has. Yeah. yeah I really, I mean, and it's, yeah. it's cool to know the process. Yeah. It, I think. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, when you get into the kitchen, especially if you're not someone who cooks all the time or isn't so comfortable in the kitchen, like it's, I feel like there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of expectation. Um, and I think the job of anyone who writes recipes is to take, you know, to answer any question you might have before you even know that you have it and to really take that pressure away. Cause at the end of the day, it's, I mean, we're just making dinner. We're not, it's not right. the end of the world. Like it's going to be okay. Like your lobster can turn into a soup, whatever, like it'll be fine. Um, so I think to just make that a more relaxed place, at least that's my ambition and what I do. Yeah, no, I love that. Well, speaking of content we can trust, Mm. (laughs) now it's your turn. No, uh, (laughs) so I've been following your work since the pretty early days. I want to say it was probably like the second redesign um, by the time I came in and started reading um, Design Sponge. But since then, a lot has changed in the world and on the internet. And it was, a, you just celebrated 11 years, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's kind of a big deal on the internet. It's a long time. <laughs> so like, It makes me officially old. Internet years are like dog years. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it. It feels like it. Um, because a lot can change pretty quickly. So I'm curious when you look back at, you know, the thousands and thousands of blog posts, your books, your show, your radio show, um, all the conferences and workshops you've done, what are some of the sort of standout moments for you that where maybe you kind of looked yourself in the mirror and said, yep, this is why I do this. Do you have any of those that you can share? I have a few. I, I think that um, I don't let myself think about those moments too much because I find that when I feel like I feel really comfortable in what I'm doing, I don't work as hard. So I try to constantly focus on things that are not as strong as they could be or problems within the community that I want to like take a shot at trying to fix and things like that. But my happiest or sort of, I guess, proudest moments of working on the site usually have nothing to do with design at all and everything to do with um, the content we do that sort of biz ladies is what it used to be called. Um, and it's essentially advice and business career. Now it's a bit more life advice um, for anybody that's trying to start a business or kind of make a name for themselves in the creative community. And I think the first one was the very first Biz Ladies event I did because I used to have a series where I would travel across the country and host these meetups for women running creative businesses or about to start creative businesses. And I would have little stations they would rotate between and I would bring a local, like a tax expert, a legal expert, wholesale person, and I would talk about PR and marketing. And it was free and they'd be there for like an hour and a half and get snacks and they'd get all this advice and then they'd also leave with local contacts that if they ever needed to hire, you know, a lawyer, an accountant or whatever, then they had these five people who they knew. Um, so I would do those events. And the very first one I had to test out the concept was in Brooklyn at Design Within Reach and Brooklyn Heights, mm-hmm. um, I, I, 2007, 2008 maybe. Um, and I thought maybe like maybe 25 people would come at the most. And there was, it was free admission, but you had to bring um, non-perishable food to donate to uh, New York Cares, which is a sort of like a great give back organization and I remember walking up the stairs to design within reach and there were like over a hundred women there and it was like fuzzy and electric and I sat down and I had not planned for that many people (laughs) I had no idea my I stupidly didn't deviate from my original plan which was to have our tiny group of maybe 20 people go around in a circle and say their names and what they did so we did that in a room of like 150 women 
which was just such a waste of time. But it was such a good. I just remember that moment of like, oh, this is a this has hit something. Right. This is an important thing that needs to be addressed. So mm-hmm. that stayed with me. I felt the same thing when I used to do um, business consulting for women. We would do it like over Skype and. I only did that for a little bit of time because I realized it was really difficult for me to talk to as many people as I wanted to and give them as much individualized attention as I wanted. So that was a good moment, which led to me teaching classes in person, which with slightly larger groups, um, which I loved. And I think the sort of common thread between all that is working with people in person and which is such a weird irony of somebody who works entirely online mm-hmm. is I get the most out of actually talking to people face to face. So I think that led to the radio show, which was my attempt to have a place where I could talk to people face to face for more than 10 seconds, you know, without having to turn it into some sort of list or clip that was more web friendly. And that radio show meant so much to me and then led to the book that um, I'm working on right now, which will be out next fall. Julie and I both have books coming out next fall. Um, and I'm writing a book about women, sort of creative women who are in charge of their own business, whether it's their own fine art practice or a company. And for me, it always boils down to trying to find people that just inspire me to want to do more meaningful things Mm -hmm. and how to get those people in front of our audience. Yeah. So I I always go back to doing things in person. So I think for me, that's, that's a direction I want to move in is just trying to find more ways to talk and connect with people in person, but still use the web as the primary connecting tool to make it happen. Sure. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I get a lot of, um, a lot of comments about this trip in particular. Like you can do this over Skype, you know, <laughs> you don't have to drive all around the country to talk to people, but, um, selfishly I get a lot out of it. It's uh, not the same. It, it's and it's really not, not the same. Um, and I, you know, I hope the audience feels that too. Um, because it, there's just, you get the atmosphere of it a little bit more mm-hmm. and you, um, I don't know, Skype, there's just, there's this level, like the wall in between mm-hmm. you when there's technology, just a little bit, but it's enough to make a difference, I think. I feel like we both, in our work, and I'm sure you feel the same way in yours, I think technology is this amazing way, like, we wouldn't be sitting here having yep. this conversation right now if you hadn't emailed us, mm-hmm. if you hadn't, you know, probably gone to Grace's site, like, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but the power of technology to then give people the tools to meet in person, I think is like the most exciting thing. I think you speak to that so well. Um, and I feel like that is, I think what we all try to make an effort to do. Cause I, I think it all comes down to your day to day life. Like you could be doing all these interviews over Skype, but now you're having this whole experience, which probably will stay with you for a long time. And mm-hmm. that's really valuable and that's its own type of currency. And sure it takes more time and money to travel and all that stuff. But it sounds like that sounds like a lot of fun. So well, I think not? one thing that people forget, especially about working online, whether you're running like a brand new blog or starting a podcast or wh- whatever it is, is you like you deserve to get something out of it too. And I think most of us do these things for equally selfish and selfless reasons, mm-hmm. where it's like you're doing something you love, you're talking to people that you want to talk to, but you're also giving something back and inspiring other people. And it's okay to balance both of those sides. And I think it's easy to handle the side of giving back because the second you put that post out into the world or put that podcast out into the world, it's going to affect and, you know, inspire and hopefully influence other people. And, but you have to get something out of it too, because most of us don't get paid that much to do any of these things, which is okay. Like the fact Mm -hmm. that we get paid at all is great. Mm -hmm. But, um, I think the best thing you can get out of working on the internet is getting a chance to meet people Mm -hmm. that you find inspiring. And I mean, I feel like half the reason I did the book that I'm doing right now is I really wanted an excuse to get out and meet some of these people that have meant so much to me, but maybe didn't have a connection to the interiors world. So I didn't have an excuse to email them to talk on the site. Right. But then here was this excuse to travel and meet with them in person and take their portrait and ask them questions. And, you know, it cost so much money to travel and do all of that, but it was worth every penny because those just 30 minutes with some of those people was all I needed to sort of come up with the inspiration or the motivation to keep going for the next few years. So I think it's okay to like want to have those in-person moments. They're important. They are important. After a quick word from our sponsor, we will hear from Grace and Julia about their new books, how moving to upstate New York has changed their work-life outlook, and a fun fact about Grace's love of horror movies. Yes, horror movies. We'll catch you after the break.
This week's episode is brought to you by Stride Health, an online platform dedicated to taking the pain out of signing up for healthcare. By signing up for a free Stride Health account today, you'll gain access to their online tools and a team of experts who can help you prepare for open enrollment, which starts November 1st, 2015. I caught up with Stride Health CEO Noah Lang to learn a bit more. We built Stride Health for self-employed and independent workers. Most importantly, going out on your own means nobody helping you to make the right investment in your health and protect your income when you have an emergency. So that's where Stride comes in. We have everything you need for your health coverage and health care. And I would say don't forget that you have to pick a new plan or switch health plans starting November 1st of this year. Don't wait until then, though. CYOP listeners can join Stride right now at stridehealth.com slash CYOP. You can add your current plan, and as a CYOP listener, you'll immediately get access to our on-call member care team, and we'll even help you pick a health plan come the new year. As Noah mentioned, you can learn more and sign up for your free Stride Health account today by heading over to stridehealth.com slash CYOP. I do want to talk about both of your books next. So Grace, I'm going to talk with you about yours first since we're already there. <laughs> so um, you are working on this new book and it's very, very different than your first one, um, which I'm excited about. So can you kind of tell us a little bit more in detail about it and um, and how it's potentially going to influence what's on Design Sponge as well? So how they kind of relate to one another. There, it's That's sort of all I talk about these days, as I'm sure <laughs> Julia can attest to. Um <laughs> I basically, and it sort of connects to how the book came about as well. So I was contracted to write a second book with Artisan, who published our first book, which was an interiors and DIY book, and all the content that I normally talk about. And um, I had, I think, maybe a year and a half to write it or something. And to make a long story short, in a year and a half, I didn't write anything. And it ended with me having a meeting with my accountant saying, how am I going to, how do I give an advance back? How does this work? I, I'm not, I obviously don't want to write this book. And and in, in as sort of non-egoey as that can be, I just, I just didn't, I wasn't feeling it. I was like, I don't want to talk about DIY anymore. I was, oh, I was supposed to write a DIY book. Um, it just felt like this content already exists on the internet ad nauseum and for free. So why would anybody pay for it? I also just felt like there are so many important things happening in the creative community and sort of culture at large that are just so much more important than DIY. And I know that it's an escape and. I just felt this disconnect between what I was passionate about and what I was supposed to be doing. So at the very last moment, I like threw this Hail Mary pass and came up with a pitch and called my publisher and said, I can give you my money back, which is fine, or I can try this other idea. And I gave her the concept and she sort of took a second to gasp and was like, whoa, this is a huge change. Mm-hmm. And I said, can you give me one day? Can I write a brand new proposal for you? And then I looked to my left and realized I married the best book proposal writer in the world. <laughs> I love book proposals. <laughs> and Julia worked with me to basically write the book proposal and send it in the next day. And to my delight, Artisan was 100% behind oh, me. And they said, great. you still have the same deadline, which is two and a half months from now, but you can write this book. And normally I'm somebody who hates traveling and doing things like that. But the last two and a half months of... We did 110 portraits and interviews in two months, and I wow. I feel fine. I don't feel tired. I don't feel exhausted. I feel invigorated and excited. And so the concept is very much based around the idea of visibility and how important that is to see people who look like you, not just physically, but sort of sound like you, who are motivated by the things that you are, and the way that can inspire the next generation of people. Um, I'm focusing on women for this book primarily because, you know, less than a third of the businesses in America are run by women, and I don't like that want that to change uh so I thought why not create a book that shows the next generation of women all these different ways you can be in charge and successful and doing what you love and what does that look like um and my blog is a prime example of what the problem had been which was we were showing the same type of person especially the same type of woman over and over and over again which sort of a thin white relatively privileged woman and there's not anything wrong with those people that I am one of those people and it's just at a certain point like you had to have a wake-up moment which for me to go back a few years was was coming out and then realizing oh what it feels like to be part of this kind of marginalized or minority community and to see how little representation there was I just didn't see any gay women anywhere and I think when Jenna Lyons came out that was my big visibility moment of like someone I sort of identified with both professionally in terms of working in sort of creative community but also just 
I really rep- sort of identified with her. And they're different heights. Yeah. <laughs> just, just I'm like half as much. I'm half in the lines in a million ways. Um, uh, so I thought about visibility. It became a big thing for me. Yeah. And so that sort of drove the book. And then meeting with all these women and talking with them and realizing how important it was for young women to see women like them on these pages. Then I started looking at Design Sponge and I was like, I'm just continuing to proliferate the same problem. And I'm writing about the same people, the same businesses. Why am I not talking about people of color? Why am I not talking about more LGBT people? Why am I not talking about people that are differently abled? Like none of these things are conversations we're having and they don't have to be political in a sense. They just have to be represented. Right. not only that I'm writing about them, like they deserve their own stories to be told in their voices. And so the basically starting September 1st going forward, Design Sponge is changing the type of content we write, the writers that we have on our staff. I want everyone to have a voice here and I want everyone reading to see themselves reflected, not just in homes, but in business profiles, in essays, everything. So the site is really going to change to be about making everyone feel welcome because that's that's really what a home should be. And so for me, that connection to home and inclusiveness, just, it can't be separated anymore. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see that going forward. So, all right, Julia. So I want to talk about your book. It's called Small Victories, right? So that's your first book as a solo author. That's what you kind of were talking about before. So can you talk about that project and what we can expect from your book? Sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'm very proud of what Grace is doing and I feel like Grace is making sure everyone has a seat at the table um, and I feel like I'm trying to fill that table with lots of food. <laughs> with all the delicious food. That was perfect. I and, um, so uh, yeah so it's called Small Victories um, and the title is the theme and it's basically approaching the kitchen embracing all the small victories so it's a very um, it's a very kind of educational book without being like a encyclopedia or anything like that um it's I hope very approachable and the format it takes is every recipe is introduced by um a really personal story it's a very very personal book um but within these personal stories there's something that I consider to be a small victory which is like a tip or a technique um, that's essential to the recipe and then following the recipe you get a few spin-offs so the idea is once you can master the small victory not only can you make this hopefully really great sounding recipe you can also make like x y and z so i sort of think of it as like 500 recipes for the price of 100 (laughs) i love it and it's really it's kind it's like sort of demystifying a lot of things and it's also my real goal is to help people understand that like if you can do a you can also do b through z um okay and it kind it all came out of the same conversation i seem to be having with lots of people which was someone would say, like, I wish I could, you know, I wish I cooked more, I wish I knew how to make more things, or, and then I would say, well, what are, what do you make? And they would say, I make this and this, Mm -hmm. and I was like, well, you, you know, you don't know how to make two things, you can make 200 things, you just don't quite know that yet, in my opinion. Um, And, like, I really, I think if you can roast a potato, you can roast any vegetable or any piece of protein, and I think it's really wrapping your head around cooking as this very flexible thing, um... And I work in the world of recipes, which is super regimented, and I'm not a very regimented person. Um, so I think I like the idea of giving someone something that you can follow that, as we were talking about before, you can really trust it works. It's this, like, you know, if I follow steps one through ten, you know, this will turn out. But then it's also, you know, taking away all those steps and just having suggestions and being comfortable cooking both with the recipe as a guide, but also without a recipe and just using it as a point of inspiration, which is really how I like to be in the kitchen. Um, so yeah, the goal is to get people really comfortable in the kitchen. Cause I'm a big believer. If you cook, it's, you know, your life will be better. Your family's life will be better. Um, and that's a big statement, but it's, I think it's really true and it's a really simple act and it's, you know, you're, you're going to be healthier automatically. You're going to spend more time with your family, which is the most important. Um, it's better for the environment. It's, you know, it's all these really great things, and it's something you can do every day, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. Well, I definitely need to read that book because oh, I need to be more comfortable <laughs> in the kitchen. I'm so glad. <laughs> because my mom, she can just a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it all turns out mm-hmm. great. I do that. Explosions happen. Things things go wrong. It just doesn't taste the same. I don't know. So I, I definitely could use a book like that. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. So um so well I'm not happy to hear it. 
Well, no, but I'm I'm happy to hear your book will be useful. I am, Uh, because yeah, I definitely could use a little, a little support. So, Um, okay, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about how you guys work together sometimes. So, you really seem to support each other's work a lot, Um, and I'm curious. You know, I always I love talking to couples who whose work might intersect sometimes, and so I'm curious when you guys do work together, like say the book proposal, mm-hmm. or you're on each other's shows, or whatever the case may be. Do you find that collaborations and um, and things like that come naturally, or do you kind of have to treat it like any other collaboration where you have like set goals and timelines and all of that stuff? How did how is it working together? <laughs> <laughs> I think give me the truth. I think first and foremost, Grace and I from like day one talked about that we would never work together. Um, okay. Um, in the best interest of our relationship, which is not to say we don't. I think we talk about we both work from home, mm-hmm. um, and we are with each other all the time. And I feel like I'm always running everything by you and getting your opinion because there's no one I trust more or think is more intelligent than my wife. Um, and I feel like I can crack a lot of jokes at your stuff, so that's good. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. And so I think we're there really to support each other. Um, I've never felt more supported in my work until I married Grace. Um, and it's such a resource, I think, for us to have each other in the space we both work in. But we we really don't work on things together, but we support each other in the work we do. So like... When Grace asked me to help her on her book proposal, I wasn't like, we'll talk to my agent, we'll, we'll figure yeah, out a contract. Of course. <laughs> by any means. But that I would have been hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, no. um, but it's, to me, that was like, oh, I have this opportunity to help this person I love make this thing that I think is going to be awesome. So whatever I can do to help that, if I'm there. Just, you know, tell me what, what you need. I feel like, I feel like collaboration rather than work together is probably the best mm-hmm. term because we do occasionally work together on small little bitty things, but right. I think they happen very naturally of like, okay. oh, I need to do a short series on Design Sponge on like tips around the kitchen that work well. Like, well, right. I'm married to the greatest cook in the world, so why wouldn't I do that? Okay. Um, and, but I mean, it's one of those things where I think we both talk to each other knowing we would feel 100% comfortable to be like, I don't think this is a good idea or... Like, I think one thing that always pops up living where we do upstate now is we constantly lament, like, there needs to be, like, a great general store or a restaurant, and there's, like, the naive part of me that's like, we should open that together. Like, you cook. I'll run the front. This would be awesome. But I just don't think that either of us want to, like, sort of jeopardize our relationship in a way based on work. Um, But there are so many times, like, the book proposal where I happen to be married to the person who writes, like, the most incredible book proposals. Why wouldn't I ask for her help? And... I think I always go to Julia as sort of a, I don't know, like a heart moment of just, this is the best person I know. Why wouldn't I go to her if I'm sort of struggling with something and asking her opinion and her feedback? And I think we each have work experience in different fields that come in handy. Like when Julia was starting radio and I was like, well, here are all the things I did wrong with my radio show. Hopefully you won't make the same mistakes I did. Um, and anything book related, but also just anything, I think, relationship related and working with people. Julia has very admirable relationships with everyone she's ever worked with. And I've never met a person who didn't absolutely love her, um, who's worked with her or even just come across her. And I don't think I have... She's blushing. I, I don't think I have the exact... <laughs> I'm sure that's true. I'm glad you know. No, it's true. And I don't think I have quite the same reputation as Julia. So I think I have a lot to learn, um, from what it's like to just deal with difficult work situations I go to her for everything related to that um I just I really respect her opinion but I think the nice thing about both of us working in sort of lifestyle related like in you know quotation marks fields is that we do overlap but never in a way that puts us in competition or puts us and I don't think we'd ever do that to each other anyway but I just think we each kind of respect each other's skills and our our fields and kind of just like to sit back and support and watch it happen and whether that's a book or podcast or a tv show or whatever it is like I just want to be the first person in line to like buy whatever it is that Julia's doing well you can have it (laughs) (laughs) it's my gift to you you need to have a free copy we have a bank account it's the thought that counts. Yeah. Um, okay, well, you, you mentioned, you know, living in upstate. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about that a little bit because, you know, I'm on this road trip. I'm seeing all these places I've never been before, which is wonderful. Um, but I know you guys recently moved, you know, from Brooklyn, right? 
And so... To the middle of nowhere. <laughs> to the middle of beautiful, <laughs> um, in my mind. But, you know, a place like Brooklyn can kind of define you in a lot of ways. Wherever, you know, like I told you guys before we started recording, I'm getting looks because my license plate says California. I'm sure people have a preconceived notion of what that means. Um, They're jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I don't know. But uh, but I'm curious, you know, what this shift has been like from you for you guys moving from the city to a place like this. It's interesting that you, I've never heard Brooklyn, the issue encapsulated in such an accurate way to, think, to say that Brooklyn defines you. I think we each left the city for different reasons and it's sort of different paces and things like that I was ready to go from day one and I felt kind of done with Brooklyn for a while um precisely for that reason I felt like being working in Brooklyn working around Brooklyn which is an incredible place there's a reason everybody goes there for for a lot of creative purposes um it just started to feel I've I've I don't know there's a point where the city is like it's like plugging you into an electrical outlet it it totally fuels you and keeps you going everyone's pace, everyone's desire to be, like, number one, it's, like, rocket fuel. But then there's a weird switch where it's, like, a tipping point, and all of a sudden it becomes the opposite. And I started to feel, like, the weight of all that. And not necessarily in the sense of, like, oh, pressure to be number one, but just pressure to just go at a pace that didn't feel fun anymore to me. And I just thought, I could still do my job and work anywhere. And that's that's the dream part about either of us working freelance, and why are we not taking advantage of that? And when we sort of had a crossover with it, we each shared a desire to get out of the city a little bit. That sort of just took us on a totally different path. I don't think we expected. Yeah. I'll, I mean, for me personally, it backs up before even Brooklyn, which is I lived in Manhattan before I met Grace and I was, um, I've, have a lot of friends who remember me saying out loud that I would never leave Manhattan and I didn't understand why anyone would and why would you leave the island and we live in the best place on earth and you're basically dumb if you leave <laughs> um and then I met Grace who lived in Forbidden Brooklyn <laughs> and, I see. um I think people were more surprised that I moved to Brooklyn than that we got married <laughs> um and I sort of you know people can think whatever they want I personally was surprised too because I was so adamant about never never leaving New York um, or Manhattan and I love living in Brooklyn and I when we got this house we didn't um, buy the house with the intention of living here full-time originally Um, we decided we wouldn't talk about it for six months we wouldn't make any decision for a year the moving truck came four months after we bought the house. Um, I, I think Grace, as you kind of just alluded to, was ready to move like the day we got the house. I really struggled with exactly what you said in your question about, you know, this, you know, Brooklyn or New York City can define you. I really felt very nervous about who am I if I leave New York City? That is such a big part of my identity. I'm from New York City. It was my first love. It will always be, um, you know, I, how could I leave? Like who, like, what does that say about me? Who am I? How do I function out of this place? Um, and we came, we moved here and I realized I'm still me (laughs) and I am just a lot, I'm a more relaxed, um, a more focused, I think a more centered version of myself. Um, I'm just a lot happier, which I think is kind of the most important thing. I think we're a lot happier and not that we were unhappy by any means. Um, but I think, the pace of living here really suits both of us. I think we both pour a lot into our work. And I think when you live in the city, it's exactly what Grace describes as that kind of electrical outlet thing. Like, I think the difference is when you go to someone's house for dinner up here, um, which you do more frequently because there aren't that many restaurants. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you go just to have dinner and to enjoy the company of the people who have kindly invited you over and who you're sharing that meal with. And I think when you go to dinner in New York, there's some motive there, even if it's like, just, it seems like a social thing. There's some, like someone wants to get something out of it. Someone wants mm. to be introduced to someone. It's going to maybe lead to this connection or something. Oh, like, interesting. So it's I more feel like, like you're never, working in a way. Oh. I feel like it always. Um, I mean, I, I'm really lucky to have really just great, wonderful, dear friends who live in the city who I don't feel that way with when we hang out. But I feel like, I feel like you're never not working when you live in New York. Um, and I feel like we really, we have much more of a balance of, of work and 
than not work here, which, and we're both really lucky to love what we do. And I, I feel like in a way, like we were talking about before, like even when I'm just making breakfast, I'm kind of always working. Like I'm always thinking about cooking and recipes, but I also love that. Like that's not, you know, a complaint by any means, but I'm not, I'm not trying to get ahead here Mm. in the way that I felt a lot of pressure to do living in the city. And I think also just logistically, New York is a really expensive place to live. And I feel like I was constantly feeling like I wasn't making enough money, which is like, like just not, it's like a bummer of a way to like go through your day to day life. And like, I feel a lot less pressure to have a lot of money living upstate. And I feel like I care less about that, which I'm really happy about. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't realize what a driving force that was for me. And I feel, you know, we could afford to buy a house here. We could have never afforded to do that in New York city. And homeownership is something that I've really loved um and has meant I think a lot to us and to build this home together and I'm going on and on but the I think also living upstate my last thing it's okay um it's so for me so much about um us living here this is not something I would have done on my own I would not live in this house or in this place by myself um so to me living here very much signals our family which is really nice yeah well and speaking of your family the pups seem to really like very happy. I was just telling Julie last night when we lived in the city and for as long as I can remember I've been somebody who watched horror movies to decompress. Yeah. My favorite fact about what Grace does is people don't know Design Sponge. The fuel that runs the car that is Design Sponge is horror films and Grace watches them all the time. I watch like a loop on Netflix basically. Like you log into Netflix and it's like oh login is Grace. All the suggestions are like you know sci-fi zombie attacks whatever. And I don't know to decompress and it's, there's something about I'm sure a therapist would have a field day with this but I that's what I watch to, to relax or to like, like zone out I don't know so, yeah, so I'll I work I'll like write and answer emails all day to like the noise of like Bruh, in the back um, but then we moved here and I think I always thought like oh one day I'll, I'll move up here and by myself with my like single mom status and adopted child when I'm 40 or something and now I'm here with our family and us and I've like softened in a way that I didn't expect and Julia was out of town last night and I was all excited to watch um Fear of the Walking Dead the like new <laughs> prequel show to Walking Dead uh-huh. and I couldn't do it and I spent all day like hitting play and hitting stop and hitting play and hitting <laughs> stop and I've like never been scared to watch a scary movie my entire life and it was this big moment of realizing like oh this is a place where I feel safe because Julia's here and because our family is here and like I've become a softer, more vulnerable person, but that was a really important thing. I don't think I realized that until I couldn't hit play on my traditional Netflix <laughs> Well, also, um, horror movies are often set in, like, big old country houses in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're there sorry. are a lot of windows in this house, and just, we'd need so much plywood to board everything up. It would be... <laughs> terrifying logistics man well um i'm glad to hear you guys are enjoying it up here <laughs> horror movies are no, <laughs> you know um it's really really beautiful i can't thank you possibly nice. describe my drive up here um it's a special today. it's i feel like we found this special little corner mm-hmm. of upstate new york which did you come over the mountain mm-hmm. yeah okay. yeah it's i feel like i i um when we bought the house, we worked with a wonderful real estate agent who has since, he and his husband have become very dear friends, and I feel like we joke with them about, like, we're all in on some secret, but, like, we get to live here, and it's, like, it's not a place that everyone knows about, but it's it's, it's nice. We're constantly trying to get our friends to move here, though, yeah. because it's so, I mean, our house costs as much as, like, a tiny, tiny studio somewhere in the middle of nowhere, Brooklyn, wow. and I just think to myself, like, why didn't I do this earlier? I mean, it's because I didn't fall in love and meet somebody I wanted to do this stuff with, right? But, it's it's a really special place. We're really lucky to live here. So has it affected the way you work? It, oh, we're both <laughs> they're nodding. both nodding with <laughs> wide <laughs> eyes. I realize we're on the radio. <laughs> um, for me, it's had a huge effect, many effects on the way I work. Um, mostly because I now have an amazing large kitchen, which is not something I've ever... I've worked, I've had the privilege and pleasure of working in a lot of other people's really beautiful kitchens but to have my own um has really changed the way I cook and it's made me kind of fall in love with cooking again which I've never not been in love with that act but sometimes it's it's been our old apartment in Brooklyn I worked on um 
a book uh, for a bakery, so I was testing a lot of baked goods, and it was we had no counter space. I was plugging in a mixer on the floor in the living room. Oh I set gosh. up a temporary table to hold all this stuff and to knead this, and everything was breaking, and it was August in New York, and I was baking oh. in my underwear because it was so hot, <laughs> but then my back hurt, so I had to wear sneakers, and it was just, and it's like, if anyone walked in, they'd be like, what are you doing? Um, what is going on in yeah, here? so I just admitted that, so that happened, um, but working, doing the work I do here, I just, I love what I do, and I now also have a dedicated, we're sitting in my office right now, I have a dedicated space to, um, I used to, I lived in a series of studio apartments before I met Grace and I basically worked out of the same tote bag for about 10 years where I would put my computer and all the papers I was working on, spread them all out when I was working. But then if I didn't put them back in that tote bag, I would feel like I couldn't shut the door to the office. But now I literally can, which is kind of an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. So the space that I have to do my work has really changed the way I work. But also like we were talking about before about, um, you know, the, the energy you get in New York City, which is on the one hand amazing and unlike anywhere else, but it can also be really exhausting. Like I, I have a really hard time saying no to anything, um, donuts included. <laughs> and I, any time I got an invitation to have a coffee with someone to, you know, pick my brain or pick theirs or anything like that mm-hmm. in the city, I said yes to all of it. And I spent so much time. I mean, it's I enjoy meeting people. That's not my complaint. But the amount of time I spent sort of doing that networking thing that I wasn't, that didn't excite me. What excites me is cooking and writing it down so other people can do it. And I right. get to do that here, like end of story. Um, so yeah. having a real defined way to say no to things has been really great. Okay. What about you, Grace? I think for me, the most important thing was just leaving a large metropolitan area, even though, I mean, to be quite honest, like the majority of the Catskills and the Hudson Valley where we live is former New Yorkers. So it's not like you really left the city and there's sure. of a sense of if we had moved to like, you know, actual upstate New York, mm-hmm. which is beautiful and wonderful. It's just not quite the concentration of former. Yeah. We're not that days. far away from the city. Yeah, yeah we're add. like two hours away. <laughs> we talk yeah. about it like we're in um, another country. <laughs> I think leaving the city was really important because it made me realize how focused I had been on all Brooklyn, all New York all the time. And I knew I was, I just didn't even realize how much I was until I left. And I think it was a very important shift from like, okay... I don't need to talk about New York as much anymore. I need to realize there are the majority of human beings live outside of large, you know, these large cities that I'm so familiar with and that it's important to write about and talk about and give platforms to people who don't live in these areas. Um, but it also signaled, signaled this shift for me where I was like, I want to slow down. And that was my worst nightmare of leaving the city. It was like, I will slow down, become irrelevant and just fade into nothing. And um, which is fine if that's, if that's what you're going for, but I wasn't quite ready to like give up the site just yet. And, but I realized like slowing down isn't a bad thing. It just, it was chapter, whatever chapter I'm on now, it was the next chapter. Um, and I was so paranoid of like, Oh, well there's going to be somebody younger and faster and more connected. And then duh, there always is. I'm not that person anymore. And it's okay to not be that person. Like the natural order of things, whether it's in print or online is for someone else to succeed somebody else and to be the next version of that person. And, Um, I think it's exciting now that I've kind of gotten or had that realization. It's like, oh, I'm not the young 20-something who can stay up all night and go to every show and be at everything and write about everything before everybody else does. Like, that's just an obsession that I don't need to have anymore. And there's nothing wrong with it, but there's a new 22-year-old and now, like, an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old vlogging about it that, you know, can do that way better than I ever could. And the right, you know, course of things is for that person to do that and for me to slow down and start writing about longer form things or things that are more about work-life balance or whatever my next chapter is. And instead of seeing that as like some sort of demotion, I realized that was just sort of the natural order of, of progression of publishing. And so that's been a really nice realization to be like, oh, I don't have to do those things anymore. And for the first time ever this year, I didn't go to any of the trade shows um, in the city. And I had like a little twinge of like fear of missing out. But for the most part, I just thought like, oh, this is, I don't actually want to be like walking around Javits all day. This is really right. nice to like take take it off and let somebody who's 22 who works for me like go have fun doing that for the first time so I think getting away from the city has been a nice realization that like unplugging and slowing down isn't a slow death it's just the next chapter and being excited to watch the next generation come up and do those things that used to be so fun right right no I think that's um must be freeing to kind of 
come to the realization that it's okay that, <laughs> that that's happening. Yeah. Um, because it's, it is happening to all of us, <laughs> um, in whatever industry we're in. So, uh, and talking about different industries, I'm curious for those listening who, who might be interested in launching into a creative career, regardless of industry, what advice do you guys have for them? I used to answer that question the same way, which was to like figure out what makes you different. I don't think that's like an, I think everyone's different now. I think, I think the wonderful thing about the internet is it's given people a platform to celebrate their difference in a way that now is almost ubiquitous. Um, but I'd rather have that problem than everybody looking exactly alike. Um, so I think right now, if you're going to start a creative career, it's to know what your purpose is, not what makes you different, but why do you want to do this? Because that separates whether or not it's a passion project or if it's a career. And I think if you want to do something because it's fun and you like, you know, talking about fashion or whatever it is, you know, in your spare time, then like, great, you can start a, a YouTube page or a blog or a Tumblr or whatever thing you want to start. You can start that for fun and you don't have to put any pressure on it to be something that produces profit or draws a certain amount of readers or whatever, which is great. But if you do realize, like, oh, I want to do this because I want to, like, do this job next, and then I want to do this thing, and I want to progress in this career, and I want it to support me, and I want to travel. If, it, if you want it to be a job, then I think you definitely need to know from the get-go, like, how to set this up in a way that will connect with people and how to, you know, I don't know, set up a platform that best expresses what your mission is. But I think having a mission is important. I didn't have one starting out, but I was fortunate enough to be in the beginning of, like, the blog community where I mean there are people who had been live blogging for years way before I even knew what a blog was but for the sort of professional lifestyle blog community um, nobody even thought about having a business plan or a mission in the beginning so we all just kind of lucked out that there weren't enough of us to compete against but now that there are like a billion people producing content on the mm -hmm. internet people who have a real mission to what they're doing stand out whether or not they look act or come from a different or interesting unique background if they know exactly what they want to do, they just kind of sort of speed forward faster than other people. And it's okay if you don't want to do that. Right. But knowing what your mission is is a great thing to sort of separate you from is this passion, is this work, and then to help you kind of move forward. Well, and um, having a mission doesn't mean that your work has to look a certain... Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean you just have to do one thing. Yeah. I think... Um, well, it's one of the things you guys do so well is you do a lot of different things, mm -hmm. but it all falls under whatever your umbrella yeah. is. I feel like it was the, like we live in like the slash culture. Yeah, like this, absolutely. Slash this, slash this. Yeah, I think. I mean, my sort of first thought about that is um, to your question is I guess my advice would be to be just patient, which I think is a rare commodity these days. Absolutely. Um, I think it takes a lot of time to figure out everything Grace just mentioned, your mission, your intention, your voice, those are things that like need time to, to marinate. Um, and I like just to use like my own personal experiences, cause that's what I can speak to as an example. Like I, I've been obsessed with cookbooks since I could read. Um, that's how I fell asleep every night for my whole life. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> so it's, it's really, I mean, it's just, it's what I love. I love them. Um, and I have had amazing experiences working with other people on their cookbooks. And from literally the age of like seven, I've had other people ask me what I'm going to do my own. Um, and I knew for so long I wasn't ready. And I think there are so many cookbooks and I didn't want to put another one out there unless it would say something that hasn't already been said. Because otherwise, why say it? And also like you can get employed helping other people say what they want to say. Sure. Um, and it took me, I'm 30 years old, I feel like it took me 30 years to write my cookbook, which I am totally fine with. Um, and a lot of people might say that's you know young, but it, for me it does feel like it has been that long because I've been interested in this forever. Um, and I think we live in, my mom described, I love this description, she uses the word microwave to describe our culture, that everything is just instant and yeah. everyone wants everything done so quickly. And I think people will start a Twitter account and are upset they don't have a million followers in right. a month, um, like literally, or, you know, <laughs> they'll start blogging and they don't understand why magazines aren't calling them to write, um, stuff like that. And I think things take time, like good work takes time and that is okay. And I think the most important thing is to make sure in the time it takes to do whatever the work is you're destined to do, whatever that creative project is that you are learning during that time. Um, 
you're learning what you want to do, you're learning what you don't want to do, and I think also that you're enjoying it. I mean, it, it comes down to your day-to-day life. Like, I think if you're living in pursuit of, if you're a fashion designer and you're, you know, waiting to have your show during fashion week and your whole life is centered on this thing it's like what happens between now and then right are you a fulfilled happy person like that's really important um so I think knowing that really you know great things don't happen overnight um is important even though they appear to because I feel like the way media works it seems like everything is this overnight sensation and they're not like these things take hard work and like even, you know, musicians who look like they just came up with this song so effortlessly. Like, they're in studios. They are meeting with, like, publicity people and stuff. Like, there is intention and there's work behind all this stuff. Even though it just lands in our inbox or on our screen, like, it was nothing. It's like, a lot went into it. And it's okay to take the time to do it well. Absolutely. Well, it's funny than musician. Or take your time to answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great, I, that's a great answer. Um, a couple of things. So you talked about musicians, and it's always funny when musicians win awards for Best New Artist, yeah. and they've been touring oh, for yeah. like 17 yeah, exactly. years or something like that. Yeah. And I think that's a good analogy for yeah. a lot of that. Um, and you mentioned writing the book. Mm-hmm. So I actually had started to write a book last year um, and kind of it was more like research note form, that sort of thing mm-hmm. to see if I could put together a proposal. And <clears throat> the story started to change a little bit and, um, it was taking me in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And so I, I put it on hold, um, because it wasn't what I wanted it to be yet. And it, it was hard to kind of like pull back and put it on the shelf, so to speak. Um, but you have to, if it's not, same with your book, yeah. if it's not quite mm-hmm. right, then what are you going to, you don't just put it out into the world because you are going to write a book and they told you to write a book and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. So you kind of have to, um, let it marinate. I thought that was a good way to put it. I've always loved, when I was in college, I studied poetry and I really have to remember who the poet was because that would complete the story. But I, this has always stuck with me. I had a teacher tell me once about this poet. I think it was Elizabeth Bishop, but I'm not sure. She, above her writing desk, had a note card that had a line in a poem that a word was missing Mm. in the middle Mm -hmm. that she had been working on, like, for years. And she kept it there because she knew the word wasn't right and she was waiting to find the right one. Uh And it was just, it would be a poem at one point. It was the start of one. It would be complete. Um, But it wasn't quite there yet. And she didn't have the word at the moment, but she knew it would come. So to trust that process and just know that, like, it will happen, and it's okay to put something on a back burner for a little while. Let it I've always loved sit. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think like speaking to and when Julia was talking, it reminded me of something that I wish I had known when I started, which was that if you're going to work in any career for a long time, which on the internet could be like five years, is that your opinions and your thoughts and your mission or your voice, all those things will change. Like there's no way to work online and not be affected by what you see, who you meet, and what's happening. And I think whatever your goal is when you start out might totally change by the time you're a few years in and that's completely okay and you might say things or publish things or do things that like you could look back and cringe at and it's we all do that and I think the first thing I think like learn learn to be okay with saying sorry and learn to be okay with like changing and that's if you're if you're not okay with those things you get stuck in these like rigid definitions of who you are and what you do and I think the people who can't loosen those things up and kind of ride the internet like it's a wave basically they're the ones who kind of like fall off a little earlier because the people who are going to be around and working there for years like you've got to constantly be kind of moving left and right and changing and allowing yourself to react and grow based on what's happening around you too yeah absolutely great advice you guys thank you for sharing that I appreciate it um so we're just wrapping things up because we're just about out of time here so what are the best places online to find out more about your work both of you guys um, I have a website, which is just my name, juliotrushan.com. It's okay. very, it's not very fancy, but it's all there. <laughs> it's very you. I love it. It's I was going to say, I got a lot of information out of it. Oh, and I um, really take a lot of pleasure in Instagram. I think it's like an amazing, it's the only social media thing I use. I think it's fascinating. I feel like the amount of like things I've learned and sure. I've, their work I found out about is great. So Okay, where can you find you? active. I'm you're Tertian, not Julia Tertian. Is that what you say? Yeah. You're active. You're active. <laughs> so old. <laughs> you're active on Instagram. <laughs> Are your handles Tertian, not Julia Tertian on Instagram. Okay. Correct. Yeah. 
Everything I do is just at designsponge.com. Um, all of our social handles are just designsponge because no one else names their site a weird name like that. So <laughs> you can find me in any of those places. Everything is one big homepage. <laughs> yeah. Just, you can find it all there. Okay, cool. All right. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank I appreciate you. It. Thanks for coming. As you can all probably imagine, my interview with those two only confirmed how awesome I thought they might be after following their careers online over the last several years. If you want to find out more about Julia's work and her forthcoming book, head over to juliatertian.com. And for all of Grace's fantastic content, her new book, and a lot of other design goodness, you can find it all at designsponge.com. We also mentioned several resources throughout the show, and I've linked up to everything over at creatingyourownpath.com. Of course, you should definitely check them out on social media. Both Julia and Grace have amazing Instagram feeds, so I would start there if I were you. You can find Julia at Tertian and Grace at Design Sponge. And if you'd like to say hello to yours truly, which I love, you will find me at Jennifer E. Snyder. Remember, if you've enjoyed this episode, hit that subscribe button on iTunes, share it online, or tell a real live human being. Thanks for listening, you guys, and I'll catch you next time.